Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? It's tingling and it is spectacular. <laughs> nice callback. Mm-hmm. To listen to this show, find us on foreyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Well, folks, we are at another one of our revisited episodes. And I'm very excited because we get to revisit a show that we love. This is a, our revisited episodes or where we kind of return to a previous episode or show, or in this case, multiple episodes of a show uh, that we previously covered, uh, but one that we maybe haven't talked about in a while and with a new perspective because we will have a guest. And in this case, our guest is someone I'm really excited to have on. Uh, it's been kind of a long time coming because he's someone that has been a big, big rep for Spectacular Spider-Man, I think, I, since I've known of spectacular spider-man i feel like a name that i have always associated with this show in the fandom co-host of spectacular radio and from the up- upcoming voices from the eerie uh, gargoyles podcast mr greg how's it going uh just when i thought i was out they pull me back in <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you on because, yeah, like I said, I know you've you've been um, you've been one of those names that I remember being on the Internet when Spectacular Spider-Man first came out that I always associated with this show because you were always very vocal about your support of the show and everything. Done a lot of great like writing and podcasting and stuff on it. So I already know that you have a background with Spider-Man and stuff. But for for the listeners, what's kind of your general familiarity and background with both Spider-Man, the character uh, and also Spectacular Spider-Man, the show? I can't remember a time that I didn't know who Spider-Man was, or the Green (laughs) Goblin for that matter. It just goes way back to the beginning of my life, to this huge, I mean, to at the very least, this huge coloring book we had in the house when I was two years old, which um, was a Spider-Man Christmas, Spider-Man fighting the Green Goblin on the cover, this oversized coloring book. I learned to read on Spider-Man comics. I remember my first comics in general were a reprint of amazing 39 and 40 which was a stan lee story and the first john ramita story the one where Mm -hmm. we first learned the green goblin is norman osborne and i started reading comics well reading i was really young quote unquote but learning during the roger stern tom defalco stuff when during the height of the hobgoblin era oh nice. nice And so how did you, uh, how, so what about for Spectacular Spider-Man? I know obviously you have a background with it, but what's sort of your, your sort of experience in history with, with this iteration of Spider-Man in particular? Well, that, that goes a, a very long way. It's kind of a weird story. Well, once upon a time, there was a little show called Gargoyles, which aired from 1994 <laughs> to 1996. Fantastic show, ran two seasons, 65 episodes, and unlike a, other things that came and went, it, that one wasn't just a phase. There were conven- <laughs> there, there were annual conventions. The first two were 
in New York City. I live in New York, so I went, and then I just kept going as I traveled around the country. I made many friends, and a group of us decided, you know what, why don't, because there was a rotating staff each year, why don't we try our hand at hosting one? And um, we ended up doing that. We put in a bid for New York City for the seventh annual gathering. We ran for 13 years, this convention. Not bad oh, wow. for a cult yes. show. And, um, That's awesome, yeah. yeah. One of my greatest re- regrets in life is never having made it to a, a gathering convention because they always sounded so cool. I remember the uh, the the special feature that they had, like I think it was the first season DVD. I'm in uh, that about it. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Uh, I would have loved to go. They seem so fun. But yeah, so during this, Greg Wiseman was heavily involved with the conventions. He came every year, and um, and some and and he became friends with several people in the fandom and especially those who work on the staff who were in constant communication with him. And after my time as Conchair ended, I just didn't stop emailing the guy. We just kept chatting about things, shooting the breeze. I think it also helps that I gave him a very nightmarish drive back to the airport where he almost <laughs> missed his plane. I was a new driver at the time, and uh, oh at the end of that, that gathering, that got referenced in an episode of Spectacular Spider-Man, by the way. No oh, way. Yeah. yeah, there's a... Scene. It's in the first Sandman episode. Harry is making friends with the jocks, and the and the scene opens on a, on him telling them a story. And so then he gets into a second accident at the toll booth. Worst show forever. I thought my dad was at the pop of vessel. <laughs> That's incredible. Okay, I love it. yeah, there were two small accidents. The first one was totally not my fault. What happened was a <laughs> this guy in a truck clipped the mirror off of my car while we were trying to make a right turn. Oh, jeez. Then he got jeez. out, threw twenty at me, got back into his truck, and drove <laughs> off. Oh my god! I mean, okay, yeah. it's not the worst way to go about it, I guess. But... Yeah, but I'm trying to get Greg to the airport, so we don't think about that. Yeah. Greg wrote down the guy's information. He tells the story on the podcast too, and then I am so nervous by the time we cross the uh, the tunnel and we come out that I tap, just tap. There were no marks. The car in front of me. I mean, my car must have been moving at two miles an hour at that point, but still. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and so yeah, that was 2003. That was almost 20 years ago now. And um, for some reason, he didn't mind. He, for some reason, he decided I was still someone worth talking to after I put him through all that. <laughs> <laughs> and incredible. And then, I, and I remember when I first heard he got the Spider-Man gig. He um, emailed me and one day and said, "I don't know if you heard, but, I, but I'm doing an Spider-Man show." And I thought, cool. And I heard people talking about there being a new Spider-Man show among Spider-Man fans, people who weren't necessarily familiar with his work. And you know how fans tend to be about things, especially when the new show gets announced. Yep. And I was like, guys, this guy does has done some great work. Take a look at this show. See what he can do. Have an open mind. And so there was quite a bit of that going around. And I went to film school in Los Angeles at the time this show was in production. So I, while I was attending classes every now and then, about once a month or so, I would go down to the studio and have and have lunch with the guy. I got to meet a lot of people working on the show while the show was in production. Got the full studio tour. I saw Lion Craven before a year before anybody else did. So <laughs> wow, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it was it was just on someone's wallet there. I forget whose it was, and I had a friend there, a very long time friend. Jennifer L. Anderson, who was also a good friend of Greg Wiseman's. She was the post-production assistant on the first season and the talent coordinator 
on the second season, and she was the uh, president of the gathering of the Gargoyles Incorporated, and she ran several of the conventions. I worked on her staff several times, and she's going to be my co-host on Voices from the Area as well. Nice. That's so cool. Already is, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So had had you kept up with the 90s show while that was happening or any of the stuff in between? Um, yes, I did, especially during the 90s. At that time, you know, I was 13, 14. You'll watch almost any animated series that's on, but I watched the 90s show. I enjoyed it, and um, I watched X-Men, I watched Batman, and being a lifelong Spider-Man fan, I expected Spidey, especially during that era, to be my favorite. The show with, not based on a pre-existing property, with the characters of the wings turned out to be my favorite show from that particular <laughs> era, which took me by <laughs> surprise back then, but I watched the 90s show, I... Watched a little bit of the MTV show when it was on. I didn't catch it every week, but I eventually saw it all on DVD. I didn't watch Unlimited. I mean, it, that just uh, wasn't really my thing. But, <laughs> but no, I enjoyed the 90s show, although there was a time. And this goes to show how stupid fans can be and how even I can be brought into that. When um, Spectacular was starting and when that was on, there was often rivalry among fans of that show and spectacular which i participated in also and it was dumb you know it was a waste of time don't do that now i tell people you know what and it seems to be consensus let's be happy that we got two great spider-man shows like that yeah you know and it's it's so i mean that stuff is just going to continue forever because that's just how fans are which it's so funny because like at this point there's a new spider-man show every couple of years if like if you don't like the one that's on now Theoretically, it's entirely possible there will be another one that comes out soon that you're going to love. And even Mm -hmm. if there never is, you always have the ones that you did love that already existed. So, like, (laughs) you know. (laughs) If our podcast has proven anything, there are an abundance of Spider-Man cartoons you can dip into. (laughs) I have a soft spot for the 1981 solo Spider-Man cartoon. I mean, that was my first. Also, I know it's not the best, but I enjoyed it. I enjoy even if it's weird that Doctor Doom was in six episodes and someone like Doc Doctor the Green Goblin were only in one. But. Yeah, they love Doctor Doom. They do. I do too. He's great. Yeah, we've dipped our toe into that one a little bit. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, so usually with these revisited episodes, we kind of like pick out an episode to kind of jump off our conversation. Um, in this case, it's easy because we're just we just decided to start with the first arc of the show. Um, so if you're following along with us, uh, you know if you want to if you want to rewatch some of the episodes, I would suggest just rewatching the entire show. But if you want to rewatch sort of where we're starting the conversation, um, we uh, specifically revisited the first three episodes of the first season of Spectacular Spider-Man, which was. Survival of the Fittest, Interactions, and Natural Selection, which make up the uh, the bio- Biology 101 arc. If this is your, if this weirdly is your first episode uh, of hearing us talk about Spectacular Spider-Man in general, um, and don't know, it's an arc-based show, so that's why we're talking about three episodes together because they all kind of go hand in hand. Um, our original coverage is from way back in our twelfth and thirteenth episodes. Oh boy, which. Is what, like 2019? That's like two years ago now. Yeah, it's July uh, it's of 2019. Wild, wild. So, <laughs> feels like yesterday. It, honestly, it really does. I was, listening it's to those, really does. I was listening to those podcasts during my commute to and from work, and I realized I haven't committed to work in well over a year now. 
Yeah, oh, I was God, listening to them today, so and I was like, we sound so happy and unaware. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know it's coming. <laughs> We're just living our lives. <laughs> yeah. Here's the other thing too, and we don't we could well we don't have to dip dip into this immediately, but I think that I I did re-listen a little bit to the our twelfth episode just to sort of see what our vibe was. Um, and one of the funniest things right off the bat from it uh-huh. was that when we recorded that. There was no Disney Plus. Yep. And and this show was on Crackle. Yep. So at that time that we were recording, the only show, Spider-Man show available from streaming was the Spectacular Spider-Man. And now it's the reverse where this is like one of yep. the only two, two, two or three shows you just can't find like anywhere. I'm clinging to my Blu-ray. Yeah. Me too. So much has changed. It's wild. It is wild. Yeah, it was so funny listening to that. Because you're right, Greg. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. I did find, though, like, if, if, again, for some reason you've never watched Spectacular Spider-Man and are listening to this podcast, which, like, cool, you should, um, there is, like, a YouTube, a verified YouTube channel called Throwback Tunes that does have, like, uh, the first episode of the show, Survival of the Fittest, and also the season one finale, Nature vs. Nurture, available. <laughs> it's a verified YouTube channel, so I don't know if that means that they're, like, on there legally or not. Um, but uh, you can watch it there if you want. I don't know if that's, like, <laughs> legit. But If you want to watch the first episode of the season and the last episode of the last season. Episode? I don't get that. <laughs> Why is everything with this show so weird? I don't I, know. I don't know the way that it's handled. I don't get it. Hey, the final episode aired for the first time without any dialogue, just music and some sound effects. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. God. <laughs> it's just like, can this show just be treated normally and well like doesn't it's not even it's ever gonna be treated well just like normally just baseline put it on a streaming service that people can see and uh watch it that's all i'm asking that's all, all i'm asking for yeah <laughs> shouldn't be too hard <laughs> you'd think <laughs> you'd think <laughs> so greg you obviously were you were anticipating the show right because you were already familiar with greg weissman and um had sort of a personal con- uh, connection and probably sort of an investment um peripherally so like when, since we're talking about these first three episodes, this first arc, when it finally did air, like what was what was the vibe? What was your what were your feelings? My feelings were he nailed it. God <laughs> damn it, he nailed it. I mean, I knew he was going to, but it was but it was nice to see it happen because you know, I mean, you still want to see your a, a, a character in a mythology you love so much to be to be treated respectfully, to be done right quote unquote because you know in a lot of ways there's no real right way to do this but there's definitely sure. wrong ways to do it and um and at the same time there's just gonna be a, a, a small voice in the back of your head that wonders what if they don't stick to the landing you know they're only human mm-hmm. yeah yeah for real yeah, yeah. it's 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 really fun I, re- I remember you know watching it for the first time too and like i i was hyped for it because i was already a gargoyles fan as well not as like deep in the weeds and like driving greg weissman to the airport gargoyles fan but <laughs> you know still like was like i love this guy's work uh and i hope that he nails it and i do think that like i i was i was one of those people that was apprehensive about it not uh, knowing that i'm sure that like i was like i'm sure the writing's gonna be good but i don't know if i loved like the look of the show like i don't know if they're gonna really do doing what i want because the last couple spider-man shows have definitely been sort of weird but i think it is it is wild watching these even again even after we've dove so deep into them for our podcast like it's still so wild revisiting these three episodes and seeing like how much they were setting up right from the beginning that just 
continues to pay off throughout the end of the show, like two full seasons down the line, but also like how different these three episodes are and the types of things they focus on while still being the part of like one solid whole. Like they accomplish so much right from the start. It's so amazing how, how well-structured the show is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the character designs because those tend to be the most controversial part of the show, even to this day. And, um, yeah. and, and I remember the first time I saw them, it was, uh, it was in November of twin of 2000, Seven a few months before the show was in the premiere. I mean, we had seen the tra- the teaser trailer at the uh, San Diego Comic Con, but it was, that's not quite the same. And it was a bunch of black and white images of characters like Rhino, of um, Doc Ock, etc. And I just remember looking at them and thinking, "I hope this works," mm-hmm. and they did. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a testament, if nothing else, to the fact that like even if a if 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 an aesthetic or like a style isn't necessarily like your vibe. It isn't necessarily an indictment of the show. Cause I think people who would be put off by the aesthetic of the show, uh, would be surprised to then find out just how like well-structured, well-written and all that sort of stuff is. I think those things are too, too often conflated. Yeah. I know people who never warmed up to the aesthetic, but still ended up really loving the show despite mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even like what they do with the aesthetic too, I think still amazes me. Like, I think, I, I, I think we talked about it when we originally podcasted about it, but, it still stands out to me so much in natural selection of this bunch, like just how much they do with like lighting and shadow to make it like this horror movie pastiche where you have these cutesy looking character designs, but like it's, there's still like horrific images on screen happening when you have this lizard transformation and like, and, and the whole vibe is, is, is so tense the entire time. And also in the animation, obviously is always just really fluid and amazing. Like, they do good stuff. Like you can not like the character designs, but I feel like you can't not appreciate how well it's all executed with those character designs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you um like just off the top of your head, Greg, do you have like favorite particular like moments or standout things from this show that sort of like surprised you because of that initial reaction to the style? I'm trying to think. It's just I mean, because I've imbibed this thing for so long, it's uh, <laughs> it's like hard, hard to, to separate. <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes yeah. hard to remember your initial first reactions. That's going to make voices from the eerie a little bit tough at times. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I remember just the transformation of the lizard, which you mentioned, the um, the stuff with the symbiote in episode 12, mm, and yes. um, just uh, Norman Osborn. I mean, the, the way his eyes are drawn differently than most of the other characters just makes them look so much more sinister for example and mm-hmm. yeah yeah and the one time you do yeah. see him with kind of big eyes but tiny people right everyone else has large people's is in the final episode and they're just it real. i mean it added it, it they knew what they were doing i mean <laughs> yeah what one of my favorite shots in the whole show comes from the last episode and it's so simple but like it's it's you know when norman's sort of you know uh, just uh recapping the whole plot of like the last two seasons basically um and it sort of like goes from like uh, you know the flashback to like fading into his fa- a close-up of his face um, that's like in this really beautifully drawn shadow that then sort of like zooms back out on his face as he goes back to chasing Spider-Man. I, and it's like, it's, I had it's, to take it's a, so simple. It is. I had, I had to take a screenshot 
ones of just the two faces kind of overlaying each other, which I caught while pausing the episode once, and uh, it, it, it's just great. And another moment, Venom's gut stomach, especially the first time yeah. you see it. <laughs> Oh, the gut stomach. <laughs> or the, the mouth. Gut mouth, gut mouth, gut mouth. Stomach, gut stomach. Gut That's mouth. kind of yeah. uh, redundant. I mean, I'm a little tired. It's I worked like... all day. <laughs> no, I feel you. I don't think we're, but we're all there with you. <laughs> gut mouth. <laughs> gut mouth, yeah. Yeah, and it's such like an inspired choice, too, because, like, I don't know. I don't feel like you see that much. You don't, like, you can do a lot of body horror with Venom and not a lot of things do. So for this show which again has these simplistic character designs to be like, I don't know. He grows a mouth with teeth in his, uh, in his stomach. <laughs> that, I saw that's horrible, fun- right? I saw the funniest reaction to that on one of the forums back in the day. This person was apparently complaining about it. I have no idea if this was legit or not. It was, it's, I'm beginning to, su- to suspect it wasn't it just sounds too, well, he said, talk about how it, how it, uh, scared, the shit out of his four-year-old son, and then he said, "This is supposed to be Spider-Man, not Dante's Inferno." Oh, <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay. I'm beginning to think. Okay, first of all, I don't think the son exists. At first, I thought it was legit, but when I think back on that, it just sounds like something someone on the internet would say. <laughs> Anytime that someone says that, uh, like a little child, like makes like a classic reference or like a complicated like reference to something i'm like i don't i think you made that up (laughs) (laughs) well one thing that's interesting about that is like yeah kids can be scared by cartoons but i I feel like i recall us talking about some of the stuff that this show kind of gets away with making scarier or more brutal simply because of the style right so like the the episode where like one of the episodes we watched we watched specifically for this all those horror shots you're talking about derek with like lizard i mean his limbs are like shooting out of his body uh in like the most horrific way and then uh in you know one of the sinister six episodes they're just like beating the absolute crap out of spider-man i feel like as a kid who was afraid of everything the show wouldn't have necessarily had the same effect because it still kind of looks um more simplistic and it's you know it doesn't get necessarily gory or like uh super like uh, tense atmospheric even though that's all there yeah Mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about. It also helps that Peter's technically asleep throughout all that, so you can't hear him moaning in pain because it's oh taking him for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> Even outside of that episode, though, like, this show beats the shit out of Peter. Yeah. Like, all the time. It's yeah, because even in the second Sinister him. Six episode, they just wail on him. <laughs> yeah, he just gets thrown into cars and stuff. Like it's, yeah. it's 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 incredible. Yeah. It's Good thing you got super strength. <laughs> I know, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One, since you mentioned uh, Venom, Derek, and like how much they seed, it's it's so funny. Like even though I knew in my brain how early this show introduced things. And and what all those connections were, I still was like, oh my gosh, that gene cleanser is there from like the very beginning and never really stops being entirely relevant, um, given some of the stuff that they end up encountering uh, over the course of the, the story. Yeah, it's wild. And, and really like kind of on that note with just stuff that they introduce early, like – I mean, just just where all the characters are at, I think is so funny. I mean, like Eddie Brock's like the prime example, right? Because that Mm -hmm. was so many of the conversations that we had. And I feel like that was always a conversation on the Internet, too. Or it's just like, he's such a nice guy. And how is this going to work? Like, (laughs) I know. 
there's a lot of conversations that have gone around about Eddie Brock, his motivations. That goes all the way back to the comic, especially. And it, even towards this version of Eddie Brock, and I've seen some people say they don't think Wiseman and his writing team made, quite made it clear what they were going for. The idea that their parents died young, which gave Peter an appreciation for life, whereas Eddie gained a fascination with death. I mean, the way he would drive his motorcycle, for example, him tackling the lizard. I mean, it's supposed to look like he... He's heroic, but you're supposed to stop and think for a second, wait a minute, maybe there's something a little bit off about this guy. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that came through. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad. I've heard yeah, people say it didn't I remember talking about that. And I actually wonder if um, that's because we're so trained by these shows to think of anyone who's willing to tackle a supervillain as brave and heroic, but... um. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of daring to to kind of subvert that in a way, or or like really confront it. Like you have to be a little bit crazy to, to be able to put yourself well, in these situations. Even <laughs> even as early as these first three episodes, I was like, I love Eddie Brock, and this is very weird. And then also, I'm very concerned for him. Is he okay? Like yeah. even as early as this, because. In this lizard episode, he he tackles the lizard in the lab. He runs off to the zoo, even though people are like, hey, maybe don't do that. And he's like, no, I got this, everybody. And it's like, bro, like you are – you're doing maybe a little too much. So like I feel like even early on, they they sort of start giving you a characterization that like this guy is not the one who's necessarily cautious about his own well-being. And I'd never seen the show, and I felt like that was coming through. I'm glad. I think a lot – like I said – expectations what you normally see in shows like this and um people bring in expectations from the comic into it i mean so many people for example thought that eddie was trying to hurt mary jane during that date when he was just trying to date her to hurt peter because he thought that he liked her which she did but um and then he ended up going on to a rant because he was angry while mm-hmm. driving like a maniac and scaring her and uh Let's be honest, not getting some that night. Because that was really his actual goal, as much as you can uh, get away with inferring that in a show targeted towards the younger crowd. Yeah, Eddie is such a fascinating character in this show. And I think that's, I think that's why he's so controversial. Not, maybe not controversial, why, why it's generated so much discussion. Because um, it is like it is a it is a lot more nuanced than I think you really expect. And I think more nuanced than like most iterations of Eddie Brock often are. Um, and it's at least focused on different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had a it had a strong perspective on the character. What like whether you got it or not. I feel like if you understood what the perspective was, you probably came out sort of being like, "Oh, this is neat. This is nuanced." If you didn't necessarily get the perspective, I imagine you probably fell into that category of like, "What are they doing to Eddie?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a show that managed to fool longtime fans about the Green Goblin. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. the other character from these sort of like first uh first batch of episodes that i that i'm sort of was thinking about differently i think after having done the podcast was liz personally i knew you were gonna say that yep because i i always liked liz when i watched the show initially but it wasn't really doing the podcast and like with how much like doug like shipped peter and liz together you know (laughs) hardcore that i'm sort of like i i have such a different perspective on her now i don't even really know what the perspective is but more i was i was definitely more interested and and really seeing how much they were seeding it wasn't just like 
I think when I originally watched it, it's sort of like, oh, you know, Peter has lots of love interests. Liz is one of the love interests. So, of course, they're going to be flirty. But ultimately, he's going to hook up with Gwen. That's what's important. That's all we care about, right? Gwen and then maybe eventually Mary Jane or one or the other. It's going to be one of those two. And and I think it's it's really hard coming from that perspective to really fully appreciate, like, Liz as her own independent character and as a character in in relation to Peter um, and see like, oh, they really were planting some really good seeds for why they would be forging a connection very early in the show. Yeah. Sorry you made such a good character. (laughs) (laughs) I love what they did with Liz. I mean, back in the old days in the 60s, Liz and Peter, well, it was sort of a Betty and Veronica thing between him and uh, with Liz and with... uh, Betty Brandt. That's how far <laughs> back this goes. And um, Mary Jane and Gwen didn't exist. <laughs> what? <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> and they ended up making Liz so likable that at first you think, okay, she's here to be a foil for Gwen, for Peter and Gwen. And she really wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's so fascinating because it's like she fits this archetype from teen shows perfectly of just like the mean girl teenager. And then it's like, Oh, but she's the mean girl teenager. who's kind of warming up, but it's like, that's, I feel like most shows would just sort of stop there. Like she becomes nice to Peter after learning who he is. And then that's kind of about it. But this show really makes her such a fleshed out character, especially in the second season, but even, even as early as, as, as the second episode with just having her, you know, sort of, it's, it's not just that she like, learns to sort of warm up. It's that she's like conflicted and isn't really, and still is sort of caving to peer pressure and is being pulled between like her sort of two different potential lives. And it's like, all of that is in this one episode, the second episode of the show. And it's wild that it's all there. Well, I mean, like it's, it's not just that it, it, I think it's because it doesn't end at her learning about Peter. It's like, it turns into her learning about herself, which makes her a very main character. And it makes her sort of like, that if you're telling the story of high schoolers who start off sort of like segregated and then end up like understanding each other together by the end of their senior year, I mean, like she's one of the best examples in what we did get of the show, you know, like she's in a very rigid position when the show kicks off. Um, and then everything's sort of like turned upside down when she starts to see Peter, Peter starts to see her beyond like just their own little segmented parts of high school. Definitely. And all these characters get to be fully fleshed out human beings, not just caricatures. I mean, even someone like Sally Avril, it'd be so easy to make her just a caricature. But even though she doesn't like or appreciate Liz's uh, relationship with Peter, she still stays a good friend to Liz. She doesn't ostracize Liz like like what would happen in most other shows or movies like like this. She clearly is rooting for them to break up, wants them to break up, but even when she sees that Liz is in pain over the whole Gwen thing at Valentine's Day and doesn't want to sit with them, she sits down with them to give her friends some moral support. Right, like she cares uh, enough about Liz that that like trumps whatever her own personal preference for Liz is. Yeah. When I tell you I forgot that this show literally st- like almost starts with Peter Parker asking Sally Avril out. I I don't know how I forgot that that was like one of the first handful of beats of this show. It was, I was like cracking up all over again because like knowing who she is now after the fact and being like, oh no, this is absolutely going to go terribly, right? Like knowing the full <laughs> outcome and then being able to fully appreciate the like 
her being completely silent until she's like outraged at Peter being like, what? And you're like, oh, Peter, what are you doing? <laughs> I love like, that voice. Beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's, so it's like, good. oh, this moment is now I'll never forget it because I have the full picture. Yeah. It's so amazing. <laughs> oh, gosh. <sighs> <laughs> and Sally was a deep cut herself. She only appears, what, in one panel on a in Amazing Fantasy 15. And before all you uh, turbo nerds out there, correct me, yes, I know she was a major character in Untold Tales. I know. <laughs> Got me. You could be saying anything, and I'd be like, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. That was one of those cases where when I when I, when I I watched the show the first time, like I'd never even heard of her. I was just like, oh, this must be somebody that they made up for the show. And then I think I read after the fact, like, no, every every name character in this show is like from something. And I'm just like, how deep are your cuts going to be in this thing? Then? Biggest and- cut, the <laughs> deepest, had to be the two FBI agents in the, in the Master Planner episode. They were from some forgotten story from the 90s clone saga. Oh, boy. Oh, that's incredible. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Because, <laughs> like, it's not necessary to do, you know, like, those. nobody would care if you made up a character to put in that slot. But the fact that it's sort of, like, made it a point to... Even if, you know, to do just the modicum amount of research to pull a name that existed just to do it, it's sort of like, that's more effort. That, that's an effort that you did need to put into it that you did. And I have mad respect for that. <laughs> that and I have to imagine there are lots of creators who would see that as an opportunity to to sort of like create their own thing in that spot, right? Because if it's if it's mm-hmm. a character that isn't necessarily part of the main cast, it's not necessarily somebody people are expecting to be a reference I feel like that could for a lot of people be an opportunity like, oh, here's where I'm going to do my own little thing, right? And it's going to be like my stamp. Um, so the fact that like everybody is a reference to something I feel like is is uh, fascinating for so many different facets. Or they could be chasing the idea of creating their own Harley Quinn and making that their claim to fame. That, you know, yeah. that's not untrue. <laughs> I mean, that's legit because if you make a – I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if that's a reason that a lot – that – that that and sometimes major characters in a show are you know created for the show is less for like a real creative driven reason and more like if this character takes off i get all the royalties for any time the character <laughs> is ever reused in other adaptations that's true for com- so... that's true for comics not necessarily true for uh animation at all but um mm. but for example, Bruce Tim and Paul Dini created Harley Quinn and introduced her in Batman animated series she was only supposed to be a one-off henchwoman. They liked her. They kept using her, and the character took off. They purposely did that later on with a character called Roxy Rocket. They introduced her in a comic first. Like, okay, she's going to take off, and we're going to make a lot of money, and then she didn't take off. Yeah. It's always a, always a coin toss. Oh, yeah. Your Harley Quinns are absolutely a lightning in the bottle kind of situation. So. <laughs> coin toss. I feel like it's like a thousand-sided die, and only one of them is a success. <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, it's such yep. a, it'd be such a gutsy move to be like, this is, it's going to happen for me. <laughs> this original <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, it's different for animation and for comics. Greg doesn't get any royalties for Gargoyles. Mm. <sighs> I mean, I'm not surprised though. Cause that was like his, for, I mean, he was, he was like young when he did it right. First show, like they're not going to give him a good contract deal for that. Like it's, it's so, it's suck. It's so stupid. Like, I hate that stuff. Well, if we want to hear the origins <laughs> of that, our first episode of Voices from the Eerie, <laughs> when that comes out. Oh, <laughs> good plug. I, like, I respect it. <laughs> <laughs>
So this is like an interesting arc because each episode is like very specifically dedicated to like an iconic villain, which makes sense because it's like the beginning of the show. Like you got to get a lot done uh, or I guess you don't have to, but they do. And I I, uh, I kind of forgot that it was like so specifically like here is Vulture, here is Electro, here is Lizard, like let's go. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. But it was fun because I feel like I got to watch a lot of a show when I sort of was like, well, I'm just watching one arc, you know. How much could they possibly fit in? Well, a lot. (laughs) But I I, I like that Vulture's the first one. I think I liked that when we first watched it, and uh, I appreciate it. I think it's a smart choice to start there. Agreed, and they did a great job with them. I like the redesign. I like these in actual vulture colors this time instead of green like everybody else. You know, we didn't talk about that, Derek, I don't think. But, like, was so, Greg, was that a color scheme you'd ever seen on Vulture? Yes, in Marvel Knights during yeah. 2004, 2005, oh. around then, they redesigned Vulture for a couple of comics in red and black. The costume didn't stick. He was green again in his very next appearance, but... Yeah, so I didn't know that. And so for some reason, I don't know why we never really talked about, probably because it was the first episode, there was a lot to cover. Vulture yeah. isn't either of our favorite villains by any stretch. Um, but we we never really talked about his costume. Um, and so this time around, I was like, did we not talk about how he's wearing red and black, or I think technically red and extremely dark green. But uh, but I was like, I wonder where this comes from. And yeah, Marvel Knights was really the only thing I could see that was like obviously sort of similar. And I was like, what an interesting place to sort of find a costume inspiration. <laughs> if that's but even it the case, it could, it could have also been a coincidence because I totally. saw – I saw a design on the wall at the offices at the time. It was Vulture in a more tradition in the more traditional colors, same costume, mm-hmm. traditional colors. It didn't look as cool. Yeah, no, this is a slick costume. I really like it. It's good. It's good. Real good design. Yeah, I agree. It's it's hard to. It's often I think hard to do Vulture and do like the traditional sort of old man look for Vulture and still make him look cool. Like I feel like they either have to sort of overdo it by like making him young or putting him in like power armor or it ends up looking kind of goofy. And this finds like such a great balance with the traditional vulture look, but still like you said, like a sleek design Mm -hmm. that like looks legitimately cool and menacing. Yo, helped by the aesthetic of the show. He looks very sharp, very sleek. And Robert (laughs) England's voice acting, Freddie Cooper himself. So good. <laughs> what a great pull for your first villain in your first episode, too. Like, yeah, it's, I feel like it's right off the bat. Like, yeah, we're not pulling off all the stops. And it's not like it's a stunt casting thing either because he's like a perfect voice for Vulture. Like, mm-hmm. that's the kind of voice that I would read in my head if I'm reading Vulture in the comics, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, great stuff. But you know what's funny is, like, it's not a stunt cast, but it also serves the same purpose. Like, it's it's not purely for the fact that, like, hey, guess what? We got Robert England. But the effect is still there, and it fits in with all the various horror stuff that is uh, both obviously and not so obviously like littered throughout these three episodes. Yeah. yeah. I do have to comment on something. You mentioned Old Man, how it's hard to do that. And I'm thinking about how the previous two Spider-Man series handled characters that were older. And I'm not trying to turn this into a spectacular versus these two other <laughs> shows. I'm really not. But they're, the contrast is striking. There were no old characters senior citizens at all in the mtv series because mtv didn't want them there and um no olds welcome and unfortunately (laughs) the 90s series kind of tended to to go a little bit to her he's old isn't that funny (laughs) 
yeah. they did that. Or, or yep, they just disrespected the old people just, in that show. Where they it's just like we're gonna turn people old. That's the worst thing that could ever I'm happen old. to you. Even, even the voice, even sometimes the voice acting. I mean, listen to the way Silvermane talks in uh, the '90s show, and listen to the way Miguel Ferrer performed him in season two of Spectacular. And my grandfather, when he was in his '90s, he sounded way more like Miguel Ferrer than the guy they had in the '90s Spider-Man cartoon. Well, this this show, a spectacular. I give him credit for like making Silvermane such a badass. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, because because the whole the thing with the '90s show, and and I like I appreciate that the whole arc for Silvermane in that show was was pulling very explicitly from like he his whole thing is being old and not wanting to be old anymore. So yeah. I'm like, all right, they're gonna enhance that. But like, Silvermane can be a fucking badass, and I love the idea of an old mob boss in like power armor <laughs> beating <laughs> Spider-Man. Like that's so fun. Yeah. Because like <laughs> wanting to augment your body with technology and, you know, power armor or whatever, do, is that's not exclusive to people who are old <laughs> and fearing, you know, aging. Like I would do that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So that doesn't have to be his primary motivation is I'm old. I'm now, I'm, I now want to live in a world where a Sopranos episode exists where Uncle Junior is in power armor. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. Now, one thing I couldn't help but uh, delight in as I was, you know, listening back to our initial episodes on these, Derek, was just mm. how many times I could not help myself bringing up the amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Because it's so funny. nothing has changed. I'm still amazed at how similar their take on Electro is here to the take on Electro we got in Amazing Spider-Man 2. There's a lot of similarities. I don't think yeah. the origin is a coincidence, but neither of us have, none of us have any proof of yeah. that. And no one ever told Greg Wiseman that or anything. So, yeah, like I know just, I want to yeah, find I, it, but I it's not out there. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, because that was such a big part of our conversation that it's so interesting because, you know, everybody knows that, like, Spider-Man 3 pulled from the 90s cartoon, but I don't feel like it gets really acknowledged that, like, every new movie that's coming out is going to be coming out in the shadow of whatever Spider-Man cartoons were before mm-hmm. it, even if they weren't the biggest of the big cartoons like the 90s show kind of was at the time, like – this, it's still going to be the thing that, like, the current Hollywood writers are going to have been most recently exposed to. So, like, it makes sense that they would pull from it, even if, mm-hmm. you know, even if just because it's in the cultural consciousness or something. So I, I also tend to think a lot of these studios, they can use the animated shows as, quote unquote, cheap research and development. Yep. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I, think, uh, I think that makes sense. I think I think you're exactly right. Like. Why not try some things out and then spend a little bit less money on the trying out? And then if it works, you know, spend a little bit more money on the big thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, uh, Homecoming had two shockers. One was named Herman Schultz and one was named Montana. <laughs> You're not going to convince me that wasn't a shout out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Greg, did you were, were you reading Ultimate Spider-Man at all um, when it was happening? I read a little bit of it at, when it was start, when it came out for the first couple of years. Eventually, I mean, Brian Michael Bendis is not my favorite writer. I mean, I'm not going to be one of those. Err, err, it's not like the same as the original, but <laughs> I just wasn't too into it. I really sure. appreciated the artwork. There were some, there were some brilliant ideas in it reimagined, but his style just didn't take with me, so I didn't read it for very long. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. Uh, the reason I ask is is probably obvious, but like this Electro sort of like straddles an area between a uh, sort of classic and sort of what Ultimate seems to have inspired. What do you think of this particular version of Electro? I love this particular version of Electro. I think he's great. The whole idea that his brain is literally kind of on fire through the, because of the electricity running through it, so he's going, so he's a little bit crazy. He's trying to keep some measure of control. Doc Ock is the only one who he listens to. I love that <laughs> <laughs> kind of father son thing they have going. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they do such a good job creating specific dynamics between specific villains that are unique to those either pairings or groupings and that's yeah that's one of my favorites too yeah and, and he's kind of tragic i mean i have a feeling if he went back to being max dylan he would go back to being max dylan he would try to live a normal life he doesn't want to be a super villain but um he's got it through his, into his head now that otto octavius is his salvation <laughs> otto octavius is my salvation so i get it <laughs> 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 and I can see why, because Otto is probably the only one who didn't treat, who doesn't treat him to his face like a science experiment, actually talks to him as a person where everyone else around him, they're either attacking him or pitying him. Yeah, and I think yeah. Otto, uh, or, or Doc Ock, because I've, uh, well, I don't, I don't know, I'd have to go back and check, but I know that Doc Ock calls him Electro Maxwell. pretty much always, right? Oh, does he call him Maxwell? He calls him oh, Electro man. because he prefers, so he only calls him Maxwell when he wants to get his attention. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense then. Okay, that yeah. that still supports what I was kind of kind of going with because like yeah. that is an interesting thing between those two characters is like specifically what their names are and what they prefer based on what's happened to them. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's probably one of the reasons that they, uh, or at least one of the things they bond over, if not gravitating towards each other. Obviously, <laughs> well, one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. You mentioned I should have mentioned this earlier, but that entire dinner sequence in the first sentence or six episode or six are just stopping that dinner to oh my god, restaurants. oh god, it's, it's so, so good. good. That's what I do. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. I agree on all accounts with Electro. It's I I I so rarely care about Electro in a lot of shows. It's just like electric electricity, dude. Whatever. I don't. Whatever. Um. He's he's he. he, I feel like he can be a good blank slate, and I think that this show uses him as a blank slate really well to to create a really compelling character who uses his powers in really good ways. Love his voice actor to death. Like Crispin Freeman Mm -hmm. rules. Crispin Freeman is such a great guy and a brilliant guy also. And he when we had the gatherings, he would come as a guest even though he had nothing to do with gargoyles because he was a fan of the show and because he was friends with the uh, con chair jennifer l anderson my co-host for voices from the Erie, and he would run his panel on mythology and animation or mythology in the movies and mythology and whatever and he, he's very well educated brilliant he would bring up things about how about say the differences between star wars and the prequels or one was about zen buddhism and the other was about ver- was more Abrahamic with virgin births in the world of force. And that's one of the reasons why the two trilogies didn't quite sync up thematically. Nice. So that's cool. I love that. (laughs) Love that. Mm -hmm. And I I like hearing that more than George R. Binks ruined my childhood because, you know, it's a critical analysis. It's well-researched. It's yeah. And it's not a hateful rant. Yeah, I can absolutely respect, like, even an argument that I even, like, disagree with. If it's something that, like, is clearly coming from, like, thought and, like, critical analysis, like you said. And, like, it's just, like, that's something that, that you're thinking through and, and arguing, you know, your your feelings on or opinions on or, or based on, like, sort of just all, all the thinking you've done on it rather than just, like, raging mm-hmm. out about it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. 
He's a brilliant guy. He did this interview with the Whelmed Young Justice podcast where he talks all about this sort of thing for two hours. I recommend listening to that. It's great. That sounds amazing. (laughs) And he does mention Electro there and how much he liked the character. (laughs) Oh, good. I mean, I feel like it shows. He he does such a great job. (laughs) Yeah, and he has a lot of appearances throughout the show, too, Mm -hmm. I I feel like. I mean, like, every character shows up a lot, but, like, out of, like, you know, the the initial villains, I feel like he's one of the recurring ones that, like, I, I, I have to imagine he has one of the higher episode counts for the sort of secondary villains. Sure, yeah. He does, I think so. I mean, it... I did a count not too long ago, and and I'm counting both identities as well, but the ones with the highest episode appearances have to be Norman, both as Green Goblin and Norman, and Doc Ock, both as Otto and Doc Ock. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. As it should be. If I had to bet prior to watching this, that's probably who I would have bet on. <laughs> yeah. A lot of amazing things with secondary characters. It's the first time I ever really gave a damn about Hammerhead. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah. Yeah incredible stuff yep i yeah it's it's wild like the fact that he sort of is like the linchpin of his his own arc basically in a way that like is really compelling like i just i would have never in a million years expected that (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. i used to wonder why he didn't do more in the 90s series he was such he's been a mainstay in the comics for so long i mean they gave i mean i know they gave the kingpin there Smythe as his assistant and they replaced him with uh that two-faced guy what was his name (laughs) Oh my God, Landon! Right? Landon, Herbert yeah, Landon? yeah. Her- yeah, Herbert Landon. Yeah, <laughs> I think it just shows like a tremendous respect for these characters, right? Like nobody's like just there to just be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and if there's a character, you know, like Electro and like Hammerhead, that maybe isn't like doesn't have the most compelling origin story or isn't like one that like people really have a complicated relationship or anything with like that's not they take that as an opportunity to make them interesting uh which i which i love mm-hmm. and then there's tombstone <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> who i can we can honestly say we pretty much got i'm not going to say by accident but we only got because the kingpin was declared unavailable to them oh yeah did we ever talk yeah. about that we did. Okay. We talked about that. Um, cause yeah, cause right, cause he's like tied up with the Daredevil license, oh, right? Or, or was at the time. That would make sense. Okay. Yeah, cause there's like weird middle ground because he did show up in the MTV show, but I think maybe because of I don't I don't really know exactly. I guess it was like I I don't know how that how that happened, and then this couldn't. I guess those things can it are de- arguable. It depends reason. upon what the lawyers are feeling today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting though, because it does at least make like the make you know the big man stuff like unexpected. If you are someone who grew up pretty exclusively, especially on the '90s show, knows the Kingpin and everything, and are expecting the Kingpin, then it's like, oh, it's this guy. Okay. I mean, <laughs> hey, part of the reasons I I decided to go back and like read all the old issues is because watching the show had me showing my ass over and over and over. And I was like, Oh yeah, big man's probably Kingpin, right? Duh. And there's just like, there was no reason for me to think that there <laughs> were like, people who was thinking guy. that it was going to be Frederick Foswell. Like it was in the comics. And then well, that would have been a better guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here like, Oh, uh, who big? <laughs> but Greg didn't do that because as I recall, he said he didn't think in, the 21st century, the reporter masquerading as a crime boss really made much sense narrative wise. Yeah. Well, and, and this show, you know, we talked about it as, as early as, uh, uh, I think like the first episode, 
uh, with Eddie, maybe, maybe the second episode, but it knows what you're thinking and what you're expecting, you know? And so it takes small opportunities here and there, and maybe some big opportunities, uh, to really allow you to, to speculate and wonder mm-hmm. and be surprised. Yeah. And speaking of reporters, Jay Jonah Jameson, well, he's been blessed with pr- pretty great appearances across the board. I mean, he was great yeah. in the movie. So great. They brought back JK Simmons for the new ones. And, uh, Ed Asner did a, did a fantastic job in the 90s, and I think Darren Norris does a really great thing here. And it starts out where you think he's doing a riff on J.K. Simmons, but he quickly makes the character his own. He really does. Yeah, I, I really like what this show does with J.J. You know, I think that it's a, it's a, such a hard balance to strike with, with Jameson and sort of like making him like fun for being such a crank and such a yelling grump, but also like you know a caring guy who isn't like the worst human in the world who isn't just a straight up villain like he can be you know um and someone who really like clearly cares for peter and i think this show really does strike sort of the perfect perfect balance between those two well he cares about his son well i would hope he he cares about his son he cares about his employees (laughs) that's pretty clear he cares about peter Mm -hmm. one of my favorite moments is when they find out that aunt may was one had a heart attack and first james is like who's who's the victim i want to know who the pity and then he stops and says "Uh, i'll call peter myself yeah Yeah. anytime jj is portrayed as somebody who is you know uh like fierce but fiercely loyal to his people like i i get very excited by that that i i love that that's like my favorite and the way they yeah. built him up across the two seasons, he starts out just wanting pictures of Spider-Man to sell papers, and then he begins to dislike Spider-Man because Spider-Man overshadows his son in the media after his son <laughs> successfully um, landed a damaged space shuttle, which is a pretty big deal. I get why he <laughs> yeah. didn't like that. But then the whole Colonel Jupiter thing happens, and Spider-Man yeah. has to take him out, and <laughs> In in a way that uh, hospitalizes him mentally, and uh, and that's when it gets really personal. At that point, you can see why this guy would say fun spider slayers or create the scorpion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, 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 Colonel. He's Jim not doing that right away. Like um, again, the '90s show, Jameson did that in like what episode four? <laughs> Something like yeah. That. I mean, yeah. that's like the typical way of telling that story, right? Is like he just he's just mad. He just don't like Spider Man, so he makes Scorpion. Like this, yeah. This makes a lot more sense. <laughs> and I hate to sound like I'm ripping on the '90s show, but it was a great show, especially for its time. But it's the sure. it's the other big iconic Spidey show. So I feel like yeah. that's kind of yeah. the go to. It pulls natural comparisons, like because because both both the '90s show and this show were sort of attempting to do the same thing, right? Like by being the quintessential Spider-Man show, not trying to like really do like it's it's not like a high concept show or anything like that. So it's really easy to sort of compare what they each did differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I mean, anytime you're making an adaptation of something, like you're constantly trying to strike that balance between like, okay, I want to make sure this is obviously familiar and to certain degrees faithful, but also like original and contemporary. And so, like, I don't know, it's hard, right? Because like, is it more accurate to have Jameson just like make Scorpion four days into knowing who Spider Man is? Yeah, but is it better storytelling? Eh, maybe not. And like, you just have to weigh out which <laughs> one of those things is more important to you, you know? Oh, Greg always says that we had the they had the benefit of hindsight, so they were able to draw upon what the creators did. And any any time we thanked him on our podcast, so you guys did this, you guys did that, it was great. He would say, "Don't thank us, thank Stan, thank Steve, and thank Johnny. They're the real heroes." 
and that's respect mm-hmm. you know what i mean i feel like yeah. people should listen to that and recognize that like that's somebody who's not trying to say that this is you know even though they were trying to make the quintessential spider-man show it, it doesn't reek of thinking you're better than or can do it better than it's simply we have more information you know mm-hmm. and that to me is respect and one unsung hero for the series we're going over all these characters and their voice acting Jamie Thomason, who I had who I had on Spectacular Radio, I'm hoping to have on Voices from the Eerie at some point. He was the voice director. He is such an unsung hero. What voice directors do, I don't think a lot of people people even realize just how quintessential they are to a to a production like this. Because I've heard great voice actors give so and so performances, mm-hmm. and when you look and see, okay, this is an inexperienced voice director, obviously, and yeah. but this guy, he was. He's just a genius. Greg uses him on most of his shows. He was the voice director on Gargoyles. He's the voice director on Young Justice. Brilliant guy. Ah, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's not something that I, I think to 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 look into. So I'm I'm glad that you call that out because yeah, that's that's a really good point. I mean, that's a, been that's something really consistent across all the shows that I think Weissman has worked on is that there's always really stellar voice acting, regardless of if it's if he's getting like prolific people or not. So that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Well, when he finds good people, he likes to keep working with them, but um, not necessarily to the detriment of the show. For example, I mean, he, he hasn't reunited with Jonathan Frakes yet on a project, although they're about to with his current Catwoman project because he hasn't had a character that would fit in for Frakes. As much fun it was as it would be to have Xanatos again, but I cannot think of a spectacular Spider-Man character I would cast him as. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I could see him being an interesting, it would be very different, but I could see him being like a version of Norman Osborn, but it would have to be very different from the version that they ended up having in this show. Yeah, you know, he doesn't have to play like a rich villain either. Like, he could, I would be interested to see Frakes play something like totally different than Xanatos too. <laughs> so. He's playing King Faraday in the upcoming Catwoman animated film that greg wrote so and i think he's an interpol agent so that's a little bit different yeah that's fun yeah i'm interested in checking that out yeah me too yeah we we really we've never really touched too much on that only just sort of tangentially by addressing like the nature of voice acting in general right like it's such a bizarre bizarre sort of environment to act in i think for a lot of people to imagine Mm-hmm. I I had the pleasure of meeting most of the cast of the show, especially at the final gathering of the Gargoyles in 2009. We had so many actors across both shows who came in to do a panel on the same day, and Greg and we did a every year at these gatherings. Greg Wiseman would ha- would bring a script, and we would have a radio play where it'd be a combination of fans and pros acting out an episode of the series. The original pl- now for that one, this one's special. The original plan had been to um, take two episodes of one of each show, one from Gargoyles, one from Spectacular Spider-Man, and kind of blend them together, edit them scene by scene. The characters from both shows would never, ever meet, and it was two prison breakout episodes, a Sinister Six episode and a pack episode from Gargoyles. And then Marina Sirtis said she was interested in participating in the radio play, and Demona is not in either of those episodes, so oh, of course. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, Demona. And, yeah, do you see the episode of Spectacular Spider-Man with Demona? That one was good. <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah, but, but um, so he ended up having to write a feature-length, seventy-page, seventy-minute 
script where the characters do meet. And it's a bunch of fans and many of the pros. You had Josh Keaton as Spider-Man. You had um, Steve Blumbach as the Green Goblin. Marina Sirtis as Demona. Vanessa Marshall as uh, Mary Jane. And I said Steve Blumbach as Green Goblin. But he also played a bunch of other characters. And he had five characters throughout that thing. And um, you had um, Darren Norris as JJ. Keaton. I already said Keith David was Goliath, and um, Kristen Freeman was Electro and Broadway, but he does a really good Bill Fagerbaki, so... Ooh, I could see that. Yeah, they have sort of similar, like, vocal ranges, I feel like. That's interesting. Yeah, so it was uh, <laughs> about 15 pros and 18 fans, and I was one of the fans in this, and that's one of those moments where you're standing there for a moment and you're thinking, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm here playing a character, and um, I'll be honest, the character I was playing, and uh, Greg either really loves me or really hates me, was <laughs> myself, the chauffeur. <laughs> so the chauffeur made an appearance in this thing. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I only had about three lines, so I'm thinking, okay, I'm doing these lines, and uh, over there is Keith David, Marina Sirtis, and Josh Keaton playing their <laughs> iconic characters, and I'm thinking, how am I here? Why am I standing up here? <laughs> There are a bunch of other fans in that play also, many who are way more talented at acting than I am. I don't claim to be that at all, but (laughs) But he knew I was an audition and he cast me as myself, so (laughs) I was on staff that year, so he knew I would be there. (laughs) Right. Oh, God, I love that. I love love that, like, between this, between Spectacular Spider-Man and Gargoyles especially, it's, like, garnered such a great circle of 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 creatives that clearly liked working together and working on the shows they were working on like you know that's it's not like super rare i guess but it's i feel like it's rare for it to happen like on the level that it that it happens with with those that it's happened with those shows and with like people who are very talented as well mm-hmm. you know <laughs> the same thing happened with the young justice cast also although granted i left la around that time so i never had the pleasure of meeting them we haven't had the convention since then otherwise we probably would have had some some of them i would love to meet some of them but um it just hasn't happened yet <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> the cast of Spectacular Spider-Man and the cast and crew and the cast and crew of Gargoyles, I'm proud to say that I know several of them, and and, 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 I'm, and if I'm not friends with them, I'm at least on speaking terms with them. <laughs> okay. More than more than I could say yeah. for, like, myself, so... Yeah. I, mean, you saw, I mean, if you saw the guest list we had for Spectacular Radio, I mean, I was surprised at how many people we were able to get. We had Greg on every other show. We had Vic on plenty. We had several of the writers, like Andrew Robinson. He did two shows. We had Vanessa Marshall, Josh Keaton... Ben wow. Diskin, Ben Diskin was great, and um, we had uh, Darren Norris, Eric Vesbitt, Nicole Dubuque, one of the other writers, she was great to have on, and um, sure. And what the voice actors would do is they would record a little shout-out at the beginning of each show in character for us, I'm sure you may have heard some of those, and uh, mm-hmm. and that's just one of those... It's great yeah. stuff, yeah. And even Alan Rakins and Steve Bloom, who I tried to get but wasn't able to get, I was able to at least get... Shout outs from them in character, which I could put at the beginning of the show. <laughs> yeah, that's so that. cool. I love that. It's so very cool. I mean, it really speaks to how, you know, how how much the people who worked on the show clearly enjoyed working on it if they're willing to come on and talk about it, for one. And also just, you know, like, 
Well, and and also in addition, like none of them are like nobodies either. Like they're all they're all very busy working people who have gone on to do a lot of great stuff. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they are still willing to go back and talk about this show, um, despite you know being I think as successful as you usually can be, is like uh, working in animation. Like that's just it's really incredible. I love it. Vanessa Marshall, especially. I mean, she does so many interviews and so much press just because she was in Star Wars Rebels as a main character. I remember when she was the big splash page get at. Uh, New York Comic Con, they were putting her up there with the likes of character of actors from Star Trek shows, and I'm thinking, damn, she made it. <laughs> <laughs> and she's yeah. a and she's a terrific person, a wonderful human being. But I always think of her as Mary Jane first because uh, of this show and the fact that I was in that radio play with her, and and the fact that she also looks a little bit like Mary Jane. <laughs> she does. She really does. <laughs> And she's just good. Her voice is amazing. Uh, I love her voice so much. Me too. <laughs> Y'all have any other, any other just like spare thoughts or stories? Anything you want to bring up now? That I love the way that they, we didn't go into him and we should have. Peter Parker himself, he was allowed to be the flawed hero. He was allowed to make mistakes. And even when you and the audience want to kind of give him a small whack upside the head, dude, you're doing the wrong yeah. thing. You're still with him. Yes. Yeah. They do a good job yeah. of allowing him to mess up without him being horrifically unlikable. <laughs> yeah, because he messes up a lot. But it's always like I think the show's always generally very good about being clear, like if you are supposed to understand that he's done something wrong or not. Like it's never it's never a case where you're like, I don't feel like I like what this kid's doing. It's always like, oh, he did something wrong and people are mad at him and he's going to have to learn from it and I can be along for the ride as he does. Yeah, yeah I hit once again, I hate to go back there, but I feel like that never happened in the 90s show. He was always doing the right thing and circumstances kind of interfered or people misinterpreted sure. it. He, I don't recall him ever making any serious mistakes on that show. Well, I think it's challenging when you're writing a superhero show, especially because you're writing from the perspective of that superhero. So I think it is a legitimate challenge from a writing standpoint to really figure out how to let your character make make mistakes if the whole perspective of the show is supposed to be coming from that main character's perspective, right? So I think that's like a real feat that the show really accomplishes that with this Peter where like we are following him along. We are meant to be seeing the world through his eyes. Um, we can still, you know, want to whack him upside the head yeah. sometimes, even in spite yeah. of doing yeah. that. I think it's, that's really great. Well, I think that's something that, like, is just, like, these shows and these properties and stories are just getting better at it in general, right? Like, the big things that, that get brought up uh, in specifically Spider-Man cartoon conversations might be spectacular and the 90s show. But if you go all the way back to very old Spider-Man shows and then shows even newer than spectacular, I think just generally speaking – Shows made more recently are just better at it than shows that weren't. You know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. it's just – it's I think probably largely in part to these superhero and comic properties being seen as like quote legitimate in a way that they were seen more as like niche or as a separate thing uh, for a long time. And, and I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure part of it is just like – again more information of seeing what has worked and what has not worked in the past and being able to pull inspiration from that but i mean we've we've started to talk about the 2017 show um and it does some things really really well uh that i wasn't necessarily expecting and that i think are probably better than the 90s show or 81 or whatever the case is and you know it's just the nature of how these things are evolving 
Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. I know Josh Keaton is Norman Osborn in that. <laughs> Which is bizarre. Is. It's so Dude. weird. And he said you wouldn't I don't think you would know it if you didn't like know that like if you if you did not know Josh Keaton was voicing Norman Osborn, I don't think you can tell at all. You know, you can pick up on it if it once you know that it's him, but it's such a vastly different performance. I don't understand how he does it. Yeah. I truly don't. <laughs> Yeah, it's a surprise so to me. Talent. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Talent and skill. Yep. yep. <laughs> I remember he tweeted out the day he, it was announced, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the bad guy. Brilliant. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the only other time I've ever seen something similar to that was David Kay, who voiced many different versions of Megatron, and one day he was Optimus Prime. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's so good. Amazing. And now he's Vandal Savage on Young Justice, having replaced the late great Miguel Ferrer. Mm. Oh, I didn't realize that. I'm I'm behind on Young Justice, but I, that's uh that's that's it's good to know. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to thank our spectacular enough patrons, Bo, Eric, Steve, Carl. Katie, Mike, Lillian, and Douglas. If you would like to support our show too, our way of saying thanks is by giving you lots of cool Spidey goodies. You'll have early access to all our episodes, including our AMAs, where we answer your burning questions about anything and everything. And we mean everything. If you join us at our $5 spectacular level, you get to hear us let loose and talk about wackier stuff in our After Dark commentaries or our movie commentaries, where we watch every single Spidey-related theatrical film from the Raimi films to Amazing Spider-Man to Spider-Verse, Venom, Avengers Endgame, and more. And at our amazing tier, we'll invite you to be a guest on our show. That's right, you. You all make our show better, whether it's by sending us Word Snappers words, making us fan art, joining our Discord community, or just listening to us every week. This is our way of saying thank you for supporting this show and inspiring us to dip into media even we didn't realize was on our radar. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate you. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. Let's let's type in the Aunt May if you don't mind. I mean, I love yeah. the way yeah. she's she's portrayed on this show. They don't I mean, she's not the person who's about to fall over dead any second like she's <laughs> yep. often portrayed as and they didn't youthen her up to the point where she's Marissa Tomei. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah. just glad that she's not having a heart attack every four episodes. You know what I mean? Like reading the old comics is getting so tiring where it's like, well, Aunt May's almost dead again. Like it's just like, do we yeah, need like to keep it, doing this? <laughs> it's like they deploy the heart attack card in this show at the exact right time right. and then like and then it's dealt with like like both logically but also with the seriousness that it deserves. Yeah. Um yeah. I like her comment. It was just a little one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, she's great. Yeah, she's so much fun. I would venture to say that I think she is my favorite Aunt May, I think. Um that well, I really like the Rosemary Harris Aunt May in the movies too. <laughs> she's my favorite animated Aunt May like by a long shot, I think. Um, even counting like future ones that have come after yeah. this. It's just perfect balance. <laughs> future ones we don't even know about. That's how confident you are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. I like Marissa Tomei, but it's weird seeing the girl from uh, My Cousin Vinny and being told, <laughs> okay, this is Aunt May. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's just facing the passage of time, my friend. 
<laughs> yeah, I know it's happened to all of us. I, I just turned forty last week, so believe me, I'm feeling that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. I think she does a good job. It's like a very specific, you know, it's a very specific yeah. thing. But yeah, I mean, like yeah. it's it's when it's a familiar character again. It's just that like trying to you know you you, you take a swing here and there and. Uh, you know, you never know how people are going <laughs> to respond yeah. or how it's going to go. Yeah. But I do love this Aunt May. I really, really like her. Me too. She's terrific. And uh, did we talk about Harry? No, we didn't actually. We got a lot. We don't really get it. We did got a lot less of him in these, in these initial episodes than I, than I remember. Mm-hmm. But it's all there. You know, I mean, he gets plenty to do afterwards. Yeah. I think I described him as the guy who gives a good one-liner each episode. (laughs) I mean, like, at this point when we were watching it uh, initially, I was like, yeah, I mean, he's good. He he, he gets a zinger in every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then then he's uh, all very important Mm -hmm. uh, very soon after this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's just just one moment. They're out in the balcony in the first episode. And... Norman is praising Peter for his accomplishments again in the internship. Don't suppose you were considered Harry. No, mm-hmm. sir. Uh, and so much characterization there in just two seconds. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They really nail they really nail the uncomfortable <laughs> Osborne relationship for sure. Yeah. Um and, and Oz Norman really is set up as like the Ur villain of the show right from the first episode, even if they're not super upfront about it. Just like right from the get go, it's sort of like, oh yeah, the very first supervillain being faced, it's basically Norman Osborne's fault <laughs> right from the get go. And mm-hmm. that never stops. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that first scene of his that tells you everything you need to know about him also, the type of person he is, the the way he just uh smirks at Adrian Toomes' face while he's Clearly, all but admitting that he stole his invention. Mm-hmm. Yup, yup. <laughs> yeah, what, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it, huh? What are you going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Good sure news. enough, he tried to do something about it. And let's be honest, is Adrian Toombs didn't go about it in the right way, but he was legitimately screwed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Norman sucks. <laughs> He's a fantastic villain. Yeah. Oh, I love him. He He's great. Sucks. He does suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's not that you have to this. I love him. I don't approve of him. There's a difference between liking the bad oh, yeah. guy and supporting the bad guy. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. I will. Lo- I love watching him do what he's doing. Um, I will hate every minute of it, but I also love every minute of it at the same time. No, so. he, he, he is just so good. And uh, and I remember the oh a moment that jumps out. We, we circle back to that initial question. I remember thinking when I was watching the first episode, especially since it was one of Greg's script, I'm like, okay, Greg, you're laying in the uh, demand for an apology awfully thick. I mean, yeah, Vulture also says he wants to be he wants to be publicly acknowledged and paid everything he is owed, but the apology is what they keep hammering at us to the point where there are some people who complained a little bit about that, and then when mm-hmm. we get to the final episode of the series. <laughs> Who would guess what uh, that would be the last line of the series? <laughs> <laughs> and, also, uh. and also a major clue as to the, who the goblin actually was and what was yeah. going on there. I mean, he wanted us wow, to remember so. that. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the whole notion that he never, ever apologizes, and um, which makes him different from some of Greg's other villains because someone like, say, Xanatos, or even the Young Justice version of Lex Luthor, are capable of apologizing, where it's a prophet and not being able to admit you were wrong about something. Look, you gotta be able to say Norman sucks for it to be right, you know? 
<laughs> he does suck. He, the guy's just so goddamn evil, and I loved every second of it. And um, that's one of the reasons why this is my favorite adaptation of the Green Goblin and Norman Osborn, period. I felt like this is the first one to completely, truly nail it. I mean, I know this. some people were confused about the lack of the split personality, which was there in famously in the Raimi movie and in the 90s show. But if you go back and read those first comics, he didn't have a split personality, especially during the Dicko stuff before we find out he's Norman. But we do see Norman working in towards his own interest. We see the Goblin doing his thing. And then he had the recurring amnesia because I don't think back then they knew how to deal with a villain who knew the hero's identity. But he was never talking to himself in mirrors, and he was never... And he was never arguing with himself like that. He would just remember that he was a goblin and go after <laughs> Spider-Man again. And and yeah. the only mirrors he was talking to were the ones that were obscuring his face. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I just like distinctly remember that like circular mirror on like very long like hinged arm, just being like, right? But who is this guy? <laughs> I think the hobgoblin stole all those circular mirrors too when he stole his ear. <laughs> Amazing. They did the same shtick. <laughs> it's an homage. <laughs> better, better or worse than Mary Jane's face being covered by like a potted plant. Every <laughs> oh, we, we we had a podcast on the Spidey Dude Network, um, Mayday Mon- Mayday Mondays, where we where it would um where that was referred to as the face eating flower. <laughs> I guess if we're just sort of running through the main characters, the only one that I think we haven't really touched on much was like Gwen, I feel like. Um, Major character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it is, you know, I mean, it's it's still wild to think about now that we've seen so much Gwen stuff since this show, but it's it's kind of amazing that like, oh yeah, this is this is like the first animated Gwen Stacy like as a main character that's not like a cameo in something. It which is, is ridiculous to think about like that it took this long <laughs> well let, let's be honest mary jane in the 90s show was gwen stacy they just colored her hair red and called her mary jane <laughs> that's, yeah that's fair <laughs> yeah gwen honestly probably one of the larger casualties of this show being cut short yeah it's just yeah. Ugh, so much to be to be resolved that is Never to be yeah. resolved. Because it's so clear that they, they wanted to really slow burn stuff yep. with her and her development. And then, you know, whatever her relationship with Peter would be. Um, it's just like it was just ramping up by the time the show ended. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> this was also the first time that Gwen was really brought back into the mainstream. She had a camp. I remember they made a big deal about her being in Spider-Man 3. But that was really a glorified cameo sure. more than anything yeah. else. But And then a cameo in the 90s show. But Aside from that, she hadn't been touched, and when you think back to how she was using the comics and the Dicko run, she was kind of this shrew, antagonistic, mean oh girl. And then yeah. she turns into the daddy's girl crying on daddy's shoulder about Peter every other issue until her father dies in the comics, and then she dies about 20, episode, 20 issues later. And then after that, she's Saint Gwen. She's put on this pedestal, especially if you read Kurt Busiek's Marvels, they kind of tie her, tie her in with the Virgin Mary, which um, huh. which uh, that's weird. That's weird. Fan- <laughs> yeah, which affected fandom quite a bit when Sins Past came along in two thousand five, and that oh, caused I don't even uh, think about that. <laughs> that caused a shit storm, and uh, 
Yeah. yeah, I feel like comics, comics, the way the comics have dealt with Gwen Stacy has generally been more bad than good until like very recently when they're like, let's just make her a superhero. Like, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think Spider Gwen was in the plans for this because, uh, well, let's be honest, oh, yeah, Spider Gwen didn't did not exist yet. And um, Greg was <laughs> yeah. retelling the Lee Ditko, Lee Ramita and early stuff. So um, to be quite honest, I do have a theory about where it was all headed. He has never said anything to me. He has never confirmed anything. I just want to be honest about that, but I've read between the lines on his interviews and he did at one point recently admit that Peter and MJ were going to be the end game and that what was going to yeah. bring them together would, would have been a tragic loss. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's I mean that's 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 the big Spider-Man story, right? Like it makes sense. Like it's frustrating that like she's always got to die. I but... would I would like to think that if they do <laughs> that if they had gotten to that and they did it here, it would have been different than the original comic, and she would have actually yeah. had agency in the story as opposed to being so. asleep on the top of the bridge. I yeah, mean, they did I'm so confident. much work with making Gwen uh, like a real character in this show anyway, more than most other than anything else had ever done coming in like ahead of it. So like, yeah, I have faith that it would be better than what you, you know, than, than what I'm envis- envisioning initially when I think of the death of Gwen Stacy. Yeah. I mean, um, especially if you look at the way Greg has historically written women characters, if you look at Young Justice, if you look at this show, if you look at gargoyles i mean someone did a tally and on gargoyles at least amaza rescued goliath way more often than he rescued her love that love it lisa rules <laughs> <laughs> she really does so i tend to think that if mj and not mj if gwen was going to if they were going to adapt that story it would have been modernized and in a good way yeah i have i have no doubt like if if ever i were to feel confident that they wouldn't uh, you know, do it the exact same way and that she would have been treated with more respect. Like this is the environment where I would, I would say like, yeah, yeah, that's probably the case. But uh, yeah, I just, just, just let her live. Just let her live. Like just never kill Gwen ever again. <laughs> I need to raise my hand to something though. Uh, on your, uh, on one of your last spectacular Spider-Man shows, you did, one of you stumbled across a piece of fan art where it was <laughs> the death of Gwen in the style of the show and the death of the goblin. And you, Made a couple of assumptions. That was me who commissioned that. It wasn't me <laughs> trying to glorify that. I, was yeah. like, I wonder what this classic moment would look yeah. like in this art style. That's really all it was. It was a curiosity. It wasn't me trying to yeah. be that guy. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. get it. I think it's because it's like it's just such a it's such like a predominant thing, and a lot of people are it like really are into it in a like really fetishistic way sometimes. So it's like hard, which is frustrating because like there's a reason that that story is iconic is because it is a big deal that that happened, and I think. In a vacuum, like, that story is really good. Like, those comics are really good. And you can certainly, like, do a good superhero story totally. where the girlfriend dies. It's really just – it's just within the context of of the world that we live in and how often yeah. it's happened. And then with Gwen, that sort of, like, became literally the only thing that she's sort of known for in pop culture is dying. Until now, again, because they, like, made her have a superhero persona mm-hmm. that I feel like has sort of replaced the the she's the girl who dies thing now. Uh, yeah, my niece, who shares a name with Gwen, uh, I'm certain will grow up having never known that Gwen Stacy was known for dying. <laughs> 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 and, and I'm pretty happy about it. 
as much as I appreciate that story, like you said, uh, Derek, like for what it is and why it's good, um, I'm happy that she <laughs> she gets the superhero yeah. version because the superhero version isn't you know it's not like they they went so far in the other direction that it's like you know she's like this perfect thing that is untouchable like she's very broken and that's part of the reason I like her so much but it's also you know she gets to be a superhero and she gets her own stuff going on it feels very much like uh you know let's <laughs> let's repair this a little bit but not in a way that's you know obnoxious or anything mhm yeah <laughs> but but no Gwen is Gwen is great in the show Lacey Chabert yeah. turns in a heartbreaking performance she's just really 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 good and um yeah and I do. I mean, I, I think just about all the characters are almost perfectly nailed throughout it. There's really no one I can look at and say that I have a problem with this adaptation of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I I definitely agree. Yeah. And Gwen, I mean, she she ended up being such a strong character. I mean, it also, like I said, if we said if anyone needed to be modernized, even before the Spider Gwen stuff it was gwen because she was a silver age girlfriend and uh yeah absolutely yeah i mean even if this just was the reinvention of gwen stacy it still would have felt like uh, a respectful mm-hmm. reinvention you know like even without yeah. going full superhero mode um she she just has so much agency in her own motivations and like isn't i mean she's obviously entangled with peter but she's not fully reliant on peter to exist <laughs> Yeah, she has like a great role in in the cast of characters in in being sort of like the the nerdy girl to Pete's like nerdy boy, but like but handling it very differently than he is and more mature than he is, and is like involved in a lot of like the science, the supervillain science storylines just because of her connection to science. Like it's such a smart way to integrate her into like multiple sides of the story without like feeling like it's forcing her in because mm-hmm. it's natural based on the character that they've sort of reinvented and built for this yeah. show. And people fell so in love with this version of Gwen, and I remember some were disappointed when she finally took off the glasses. <laughs> the glasses are adorable i, I get yeah. it i get it it's good it's a good design <laughs> yeah <laughs> but this version of gwen was just I'm, I'm glad they made it really matter instead of just waiting for her to die which unfortunately as yeah. i recall during the initial area some people were d- were doing the, i would i would see reviews on forums like oh i thought this episode was the one where she was gonna die and i'm thinking what okay but also greg the the amount of times i like gasped and nearly threw something during that parade episode i was like this is mean i feel attacked (laughs) i remember that i had that same feeling later on during the opera episode where doc ock is thrashing around there's pieces of debris flying everywhere and george stacy is right there and yeah <laughs> I can't handle this. It's like they know, they know, they know that's what we're I all know. thinking, and they're doing it I anyway. <laughs> At least in those circumstances, like the environment and the circumstances, like and the events, call for that tension and that anxiety, right? Like it's not just like me waiting on the sidelines, being like, "It's gonna happen," and I can't wait. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But let me, oof, let me tell you. the people the people like making the ticking clock of like this has got to be the one that's the one that's the stuff i'm talking about when it's just like you have a weird obsession with this girl (laughs) dying man like calm down (laughs) 
I mean, I think there's a di- I think there's a difference between wanting to see a classic story adapted, and oh, wanting absolutely, to see, mm-hmm. and wanting to see um, this girl die. I mean, there's yeah. a yeah. yes, yeah, that's the exact yeah. distinction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure, one hundred percent. And if, like I said, if they had done that, I'm sure they would have modernized it, given her agency, and they would have done a better job than the killing joke did. I know they mm. wanted to give Barbara Gordon more agency in that story, but they went about it and. The worst possible way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) Not trying to bash. I kind of feel like that one deserves to be called out. Oh, I, you, you, know, you could bash that all day and I would just, I would yeah. just give you, you know, a, something to stand on in a megaphone. It's fine. <laughs> Comics and women have not gone well together in, in that regard for a long time. So I think when those things come up, uh, they're very worthy of the bashing for yeah. sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, which is a shame because comics have created a lot of great woman characters. They just yeah. haven't always yep. done well by them. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I mean, a lot of my favorite characters. My, my favorite character in the entire Spider-Man mythos is Mary Jane Watson, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah. and I think this show adds to that sort of legacy, right? Like, if you're going to yeah. sort of sort properties into like who's who's adding to that legacy and who's not. Luckily and fortunately, this one falls squarely in the adding to that legacy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. In the classic comics, she grew with Peter, and she was hiding behind a bit of a mask herself, the party girl persona, to, ha- to mask the amount of emotional pain she was always in due to her bad home life. So when she come, when she opens up to him shortly after she admits that she knew he was Peter, that he was Spider-Man all along, that's one, thank you, Tom DeFalco, that's one of those great moments in Spider-Man comics. And I get the feeling, and Greg never confirmed this to me one way or another, he likes to tease, but... um that Mary Jane was aware of who he was throughout the show also just the way some oh. of her lines are read. And yeah. I think that was yeah. a conversation we were having, right? It was, I think that would have been a really, I, and I think that would be really fun and it would sort of fit this version of Mary Jane yeah. that built too. When we yeah. said that like her, I, yeah. her sort of like social interaction with people kind of was her superpower. And I feel like that would fit perfectly in with that is like, she just picks up on all the cues and she puts things together in a way that the average person might not. So it wouldn't have even felt out of character, out of place in what we've already gotten to this point. Yeah. There's one moment that first gave me doubt and then it cemented my theory even further. And that's during the Christmas episode where Everyone thinks Peter's buried under the Christmas tree when he just says, oh, I went around the corner for coffee and he was gone for like 40 minutes doing that and doing that. And and that's the lie he puts on to explain where he was. And Mary Jane's like, so you were doing that. I forget the exact line, but um, it's more it it reads to me now like, geez, Tiger, come up with a better excuse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, she was also, uh, you know, if you recall, traumatized by that horrific CGI Christmas tree. So <laughs> I can, I get it. I get it. <laughs> she was almost crushed. Uh, and, you know, and it looked like that. <laughs> Beautiful looking show. That was not one of the best shots. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The only reason I pick on it so hard is because everything else looks so good. <laughs> Yep, 100%. Hey, you know what? You got to call out the parts that weren't as good so that your praise is just as genuine as your criticism. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yep. And, and there aren't that many points to pick out from this show yep. where they aren't that good. So, so, you know, just just highlights how good it is. <laughs> so I'll always remember that tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, I guess speaking of just like legacies in general, like I, I don't I don't know if this is uh, if this question even makes sense necessarily. But like, Greg, do you, do you feel like this show has a particular sort of legacy? Like, what is this show's like, what is this? carry forward or what is this the show's place i think i see people remember it to this day as a proper example of a sp- of spider-man done right just that this isn't just an adaption this is him this is the character i mean whereas everything since then oh it's this version it's that version or this thing just feels so true and as for its legacy it's a little bit difficult especially with marvel trying to pretend it never existed due to the whole Ugh. thing with sony but uh-huh. But who knows if um, Disney does buy Sony's library? I don't think they're going to. But if they do, who knows? Maybe there will be some new life towards this. But um, as for but you know, we had this conversation about the show's legacy in the final episode, of Spectacular Radio, and we just think just the quality that you can tell a Spider-Man story, and they, and that there are really no limits to what you can do if you bring in the right people have the right care and passion for the project. I mean, I don't want to go off on any of the shows that have come since then, but they were clearly setting out to do different things. Yeah, they were. Sure. And I think I think some of them specifically tried to go very far away from that, and I do think some of them were inspired by it. I think I do think part of the legacy of this show is inspiring some of the creators that came after. You know, I I don't yeah. think Again, we've only started to watch 2017, but I don't think 2017 would tell some of the stories in the way it tells them had this show not come along and said, like, no, you yeah. can do that if you want. Yeah, I've been surprised by how much that show in in very specific ways seems heavily inspired by Spectacular Spider-Man, um, like how often that seems to come And we know sometimes. it'll go very differently. Like, we're, we're aware. <laughs> mm-hmm. We don't know yeah. how or we don't know what or how we'll feel about it, but, like... As it kicks itself off, like, I was very surprised, and I, I think you have to attribute some of it to the way that this show, Spectacular, succeeds. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think it I think it will have an influence, either small or large, here and there. I mean, it was the first of, of the Spider-Man shows to update the ethnicities of some characters to mm-hmm. um, more reflect modern-day New York. Let's be honest. It's also 60s New York, too. Let's, let's yeah. really be honest. Yeah, New York for a yeah. long time now, everybody. It's, it's one of the major places people came into the country. Like, come on. <laughs> and to be honest, I'm glad it came out when it did before current levels of discourse because while there were some people who didn't yes. like, say, Liz Allen being Puerto Rican, they would be much, 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 much louder and yep. if this had come out in the last five years and that had happened. So um, I think yeah. this show managed to avoid that. And th- these culture wars are just f- fucking stupid. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, some. I mean, you'll get these awful, awful, awful people who are clearly racist complaining about every little thing just because. Oh my god, we're losing some white people, and then. To be honest, a little bit on the other side, you have people who complain, "Oh, this isn't doing enough in ways that kind of miss the forest for the trees." I hope I'm. I hope what I'm saying makes sense. I don't want to sound like I'm condemned. No, I think it. It's it's like I, like the the discourse is it can get very. Uh, 
really uh, like harsh in ways that aren't productive, I think, a lot of times. And I think a big problem is because so many of the loudest voices are just like hardcore racist. So like I don't want to have a critical discussion with those people. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I, well, mean, I, I know either. what you mean is that there are. Yeah, exactly. But I, I know what you mean, though, because sometimes I think like there are creators who are really trying really hard um, and I think maybe get a little too much blowback for 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 like things that, 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 you know, maybe the network doesn't allow them to do or something like that. When it's like that's not the fault of the creator. That's the fault mm-hmm. of, you know, just not being not, not being allowed to, yeah. to push the boundaries as much as they might want to, you know, or. Um, yeah. Or sometimes a, a creator and then and members of the audience have a different idea on who the character is. Yeah, and yeah. usually yeah. I would say the creator needs to follow their own instincts because if they're not doing that and they're second guessing themselves, suddenly it's going to feel artificial. I mean, representation is good. I do agree we need way more of it. I like that we're getting more. But if, say, for example, the audience wants character X to be this, and the creator doesn't see them that way, if they try to then push them into that situation, it's going to feel artificial, and then in the end, no one is pleased. Yeah, it's all it's all complicated. It stuff. is. Um, yeah. But, but I, but I agree, I agree with you 100% that like, I'm glad that this show got to do what it, what it did before that became such like a, a shitty point for people to talk. Like, like nobody was calling this the woke Spider-Man show. Then they call every Spider-Man thing since then, the woke (laughs) Spider-Man show disparagingly, even though guess what? 2008, they were doing the same damn thing. Yeah. (laughs) Woke has just lost all meaning. It's now turned into shorthand for thing i don't like and they just throw that at it yeah it's so stupid it it really is it really is and um i do but i do remember on one spider-man board i'm not gonna name it but for the most part the show was well received there there was one really loud voice between this and then when young justice was announced and they showed the black aqualad who turned out not to be garth at all but um (laughs) oh it's the greg wiseman diversity squad and this is years before the woke the word woke was even in the vernacular just wait till he finds out that aqualad is gay (laughs) (laughs) oh if we we ever get new episodes of gargoyles under greg's watch and He's able to depict Lexington as gay as he intended in the 90s, I wonder. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. People are going to be mad about it, but you know what? They're just going to – if they were going to be mad about it, they were going to be mad regardless of what it does. So Mm -hmm. fuck them. (laughs) We like it even more when you're mad, everybody. So keep being (laughs) mad. (laughs) That means something's been doing – that means something's been done right. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Wow, we really went places. <laughs> yeah, we really did. I've I've exhausted everything I wanted to talk about. I don't know about y'all. Um, any any final closing thoughts before we sort of pivot into into plugs? Best right, Spider-Man animated series ever to this day. <laughs> <laughs> there are many people who would not disagree with you. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. In good company. <laughs> no, no. Part part of that, the best part of that, was watching people go from "Oh, I hate this" when it was just coming out to "This is the best." I've I've seen so much of that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> well, thanks so much for uh, for being on here and talking this great Spider-Man show that we all love very dearly. Where can people uh, find you on the internet, and where would you like to be found? And what what kind of cool stuff are you working on that you like to plug? Let's see. I can be found on Twitter at at GregXB, where I'm usually talking about geek stuff or um venting about how much i hate certain politicians which i should probably do a little bit less of because it's just not helpful but <laughs> <laughs> or and you and um you can find me over at 
at at the Spidey Dude Network at SpideyDude.com, where I part where which hosts Spectacular Radio, and I'm an occasional participant on the Spidey Dude Experience, where we talk about the current comics that are coming out. We've been going through the entire Nick Spencer run, and I'm a semi-regular feature. It's a run that I've really been enjoying, and we're looking forward to seeing how it ends and what comes next. And you can find me at Spectacular Radio if you had never listened to the show before. We go through each episode of the show with one behind-the-scenes insider show with Wiseman and then a fan commentary right after. It's a 52-episode show. It's complete now. And um, if you listen to some of those early episodes, I'm going to ask you for patience and a little bit of forgiveness because oh, I yeah. was uh, I was younger at the time and in my 20s, a little bit more of an edgelord and a bit of an angrier fan at that point. So I was <laughs> loving this show, but show but um so if some of the stuff sounds a little bit ugly i admit that it was and that i have since grown past a lot of that i even talked about that in the last episode about how i feel that i've changed as a podcaster all you can do is grow Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i was a teenage early 20s something edgelord and and our next and my next podcast which we've mentioned which we've mentioned quite a bit voices from the eerie it hasn't premiered yet we're trying to get a buffer of episodes we've got two in the can i want four in the can before we launch it's um called voices from the eerie and it's going to be a gargoyles podcast it's going to be similar to um spectacular radio i'm playing up with the formats we're going to be doing insider stuff with greg wiseman we've already our first two shows the first show was the make was the development of the show selling the show with and that featured Greg Wiseman and early character artist Greg Guler. The second one was actually making the show, getting it on the air with Greg Wiseman and his co-producer Frank Parr. Our third show is going to be discussing the pilot, Awakening Part 1 with Greg. And we're going to do that, go all the way through the pilot. And we're going to keep having him do as many episodes. Hopefully we'll get through all of them. He's he's willing to do that, to do that right now. Things might change late, later, you know, circumstances in life, but... Yeah, we're gonna get busy, but we're but for now we're gonna be doing commentary on each and every episode. That's the plan. But we're also gonna do some different kind of shows every now and then. We're gonna have like gargoyles and newbies perspective. Gargoyles, it's use use of mythology. Gargoyles, how it stacks up against comic book universes. Some certain theme shows and discussion. I know some people want to do a biology show. Um, this fandom has a lot of really interesting nerds in it, me being among them, but I'm not a biology guy, but it should be interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds fascinating. I'm so excited to, to check it out. Yeah, Thanks. that sounds rad. And we're hoping to get more interviews with cast and crew throughout the show. Some of them might be a little bit harder to get than the um, sure. than some of the Spec Spidey people were due to um, different places in their careers right now. And... Um, some of them being overseas. Marina Sturgis moved back to London at the beginning of the year, but we're going to try. She may have already given us a little contribution, hint, hint. Hey. Nice. That's exciting. <laughs> and that show has a Twitter account, at from Erie, F-R-O-M-E-Y-R-I-E, where, we, where we're plugging the show, we're plugging the merchandise. There's been a recent renaissance in merchandise, which I find curious, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very and very curious. Nothing's in, very... no shows in production yet that we know of, believe me. But uh, something, I think something is happening. I've got theories, and we'll talk about those theories on the show. <laughs> nice, nice little twinkle of hope. <laughs> well, thanks again to Greg for being here for this great episode. If you'd like to hear more from Doug and I, 
your first stop, I would say, would be on our Patreon, patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We've got all kinds of great bonus content for you, including our movie commentaries, our spider bite episodes, uh, with lots of bonus stuff uh, for you to check out. And you can also check out our Discord. Uh, we've you probably see we'll see links in the show notes and on our social media, but it's a great place where we would love to have some people uh, generate some fun discussion about Spider-Man and just all kinds of media that we'd love to talk about if you want to chat us up there. Otherwise, if you'd like to find us individually on the internet, where can we find you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can also find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road. It's a Pokemon podcast where I get together with my friends and we talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you like books or video games or both, you can check me out on a podcast called Novel Gaming, uh, where my friends Katie and Vicky and I get together and catch up on all of the media we've been consuming lately. What about you, Derek? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. You can also hear more from both of us on our monthly podcast, Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon, where we watch every Pixar film chronologically. We actually just dropped a special episode yesterday, as opposed to the Brave episode that we mentioned last week, uh, that's covering the full our whole first year of our podcast, the first 12, uh, 12 movies that we talked about, and just uh, kind of going over our general thoughts and some uh, some fun retrospective stuff. So check out that episode. You can find that and our episodes of Walloping Web Snappers, all archived on our website wallopingwebsnappers.com and you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook all at wallopingwebpod you can also reach out to us by emailing us wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com and if you'd like to support our show further you can rate, review, and subscribe to us across any major podcast platform that you use it really helps other people find our show if they're looking for some good, sweet Spider-Man content next week uh, we're tired so we're taking a week off (laughs) But, but you're still going to be hearing something in the main feed. You're still going to be getting something dropped, uh, dropped for you that you might not have ever heard. Um, cause we are actually going to be dropping our Patreon series on the unmade Spider-Man films in the main feed. So obviously if you're excited for upcoming Spider-Man movies, uh, if you Mm want to hear like the history of all the lead up to what came, what came before those Spider-Man movies, what almost (laughs) happened. And some of what didn't come before (laughs) And what didn't, mostly what didn't come before, but all the lead up, all the lead up to what brought us to the world of Spider-Man movies that we have today. All the stuff that didn't happen, whether that's like the stuff before the Raimi movies, the Spider-Man 4 that never happened, the Amazing Spider-Man series that never happened. You're going to hear all about that stuff. We do a deep dive into it. Um, It's one of our favorite Patreon things that we've ever done. And we figure, hey, why not just let everyone hear it now that, you know, the movies are back in the news anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So excited to hear that. Check back with us on. And then we'll be back the week after that for some brand new content. Yeah. Ooh, guess. Everybody guess what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, I guess it'll be a surprise. <laughs> it probably won't, but, you know, whatever. See ya. Yeah, see ya.